in at Renovation Church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God, the only rule for faith and life, and, and we rest on the authority of the Scriptures. Um, there's one long section of Scripture, actually the Christmas story that Walt's going to be reading to you a little bit later. You can, you can uh, pull your Bibles out for that. The rest of the Scriptures we will have on the screen for you. They're also in the handout, um, the addresses, so that you can maybe look back at them over the days to come, uh, kind of refresh your memory what we talked about here this evening. You know, up until the Christmas season here at Renovation, we've been looking at the topic of miracles in the Bible, and we specifically have been looking at Matthew, uh, working through right before Christmas, Matthew chapter 8. Uh, 8 and 9 in Matthew have a series of nine miracles that Jesus performed at the beginning of His ministry. And uh, we're going to dig back into to the miracles right after the first of the year, the, probably the second week in January, looking at chapter 9. But it, it is also a miraculous time of year that we have called Christmas. Christmas seems to be filled with, with miracles and miraculous things that happen. For the last few days and for the next several days after Christmas, it's the focus of our attention. We're always asking, oh, where are you going for Christmas? Have you finished your Christmas shopping? You ready for Christmas? And then it gets here and it's, how was your Christmas? Where did you go? What did you do? What did you get? You know, focus of everything that we're doing is Christmas. All around the world, it's the same. I don't care whether you turn on the TV and you're looking at... Uh, London or Paris or New York City or uh, Brazil or wherever it might be. The focus right now is on Christmas. When we were having our first service here at 5 o'clock, they were celebrating Midnight Mass at the Vatican. They were also doing a midnight service in Bethlehem. Uh, so all around the world, folks, today at this very time, are celebrating uh, Christmas. Offices shut down, stores shut down, restaurants shut down, gas stations shut down. Uh, tomorrow, and I can look out there now, and even at this time, there's not much traffic on the road. It's just about ended, all the busyness, and tomorrow will be a quiet day. So what's the big deal about Christmas anyway? That's what we're here to ask tonight. What's the big deal? Why does everything else seem to take second place to Christmas? And to answer those questions, I think there's four issues that we're going to need to dig into. These are four issues that, as, as we talked about um, the message tonight, we could probably do a week on each one of these uh, four issues, but we decided to do them all very briefly in one night, in Christmas Eve night. The first issue is, who came at Christmas? The second issue is, who He came to and who He came for? The third issue would be, why did He come? And the final issue would be, so what? So what? What difference does it make? Big deal. Is, or does it make any difference at all? 
So let's look at these one by one. The first issue is the relevance of Christmas. The relevance of Christmas is that God came to earth. You see, Christmas is a celebration of an invasion. It's God's invasion of earth. I don't know, oh, I can look around here and quite a few of you would, would remember. I don't know where you were on July the 20th, 1969. At almost midnight, but I know where I was, glued to a TV set, waiting to see man land on the moon. Man walked on the moon. That was a big deal, but not half as big a deal as when God walked on earth. About 2,000 years ago, God came to earth, you see. And you say, God, I thought we were talking about Jesus. Isn't this, isn't this Jesus' birthday? Well, the first premise I want to lay out for you is that Jesus is God. Let's look at the Scripture. John 1, 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning. And he said it himself. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the, and the Father are one. He claimed to be God. Now, the Bible calls him God, and he proved that he was God by dying on the cross for our sins and by being resurrected three days later. This is what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, Colossians 1.15. Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all. In fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and in earth. So the Bible says that Jesus created the world. Jesus didn't start in a stable on Christmas Eve. What we're celebrating is not the beginning of Jesus Christ. What we're celebrating is the day that He came to earth to walk among us. It's the most important event in all of history. And as a matter of fact, if you think about it, all of history is divided by that one event, that one big deal. B.C., and A.D., everything, every historical date that you can think of, every event in history takes on either a B.C. date or an A.D. date. And Jesus, who is God, is the reference point for every date that we have. When you write a check, you date it, and you're using as your date the reference point is the birth of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah says that a virgin will bear a son and his name will be called, just as we sang, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what gives the relevance to Christmas. God came to earth. We're going to run a, believe it or not, a cartoon. 
and while we're running this cartoon, the uh, offering uh, uh, baskets will be passed around. That's when you can drop your, your gifts or your Connect cards into the baskets. But I think the, the cartoon is not going to be so deep that you can't <laughs> watch it and do that at the same time. So take a look up here at the uh, screen. There's, there's a lot of famous characters there, right? I mean, these are characters that churches are named after. <laughs> you look at Mary. I mean, how many churches have been named after Mary? These are extremely well-known characters, famous even to some degree. But I don't think I can say enough tonight to articulate to you how painfully ordinary these people were in this particular time. These uh, shepherds, as, we, uh, as we, we think of them, are pretty famous now for their, uh, their visitation from, from an angel, as we're going to see in just a moment. They're pretty famous for their journey to find the baby. They're pretty famous for uh, you know, the little drummer boy that we sing that, again, is kind of one of those things that we've added and certainly is, paints a nice picture of worship um, to, to Christ. But these were extremely ordinary, common people. Now, the, the, the second issue that we're going to deal with is that the reality of Christmas is that Jesus came for ordinary people. You see, if, if you or I were going to start a movement, let, let, let's say that we wanted to start a movement selling bathtub plugs, right? And we go, the thing that we, the thing that we want to do is, is we just are passionate about selling things that will, that will plug up bathtubs, I mean, are, are you as passionate about that as I am? <laughs> Me neither. Um, but we want to start a movement. And so the first thing that you and I would do in order to start a movement is we would want maybe the head of a uh, CEO of some major company, maybe a Fortune 500 company, maybe uh, the place I used to work, maybe, maybe Howard Schultz, maybe uh, the, the, the fellow that started Starbucks would be a good start. And we would go to see him and say, look, we want to start this movement. Could, you, could we possibly get you to endorse it? Could we, could we get you to speak out in favor of our movement? Maybe we would go to a professional athlete. Maybe we would go to a, 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 a world political figure to, to, to be able to step in and say, I am for this movement that these folks are trying to start. You see, that's how you and I would do it, right? That's, that's pretty good business sense, right? But you see, God chose a teenage girl who wasn't married to give birth to his son who would be born most likely in a cave. We don't know exactly what time of the year it was. And he revealed this mystery to a group of filthy, nasty sweaty shepherds whose job was to make sure that wild animals didn't come in and kill part of the flock 
whose part of their job was to go to great lengths, whatever it would take, to go after the sheep that would wander off, because sheep aren't exactly the smartest creatures in the world. And he chose to reveal this good news to them first. Now let's take a look at what the story says in Luke chapter 2. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. Now, he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified, as you or I would be for sure. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. Easy for him to say. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior of the world, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Not exactly the entrance that you would expect for the Savior of the world, right? Kind of odd. Not the way I would have done it. Oh, I would have had lights and fog machines and helicopters and flying banners overhead and explosions. He would have come in on a tank. Right? That's how I would have done it. Yeah, but that's not how God did it. And suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Pretty fair response. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, right? But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now here's, here's the message of, of God going to shepherds. It's that Jesus is available to all of us. That's the, beauty of, that's the beauty of that picture. That's the beauty of that interaction. You see, you or I, we would have done it differently, right? We would have gone to a mover and a shaker in the community, right? We would have gone to get the endorsement for our movement. We, wanted, we would have wanted Kobe Bryant to say, I plug my bathtub with these Anderson bathtub plugs. So you should too. That's how we would have done it. But... You see, God, for a couple of reasons. First of all, 
He wanted to communicate to us, just as the song that we sang just a moment ago, if you notice the lyrics, it said, to the cutter and cusser, to the hooker and hustler, he's near. To the prodigal son who hates what he's done, he is near. To the fatherless orphan who prays for his portion, he's near. And to the faithful redeemed who sees the unseen, he is near. Now, now here's the message. The message is that this gift is the only thing in the world that we can understand as being without prejudice, without strings, and inclusive to all who will accept it. What else in our world can we say that about? And the second reason that he did it this way, I think, is because if he had gone to the movers and shakers in Israel or he had gone to Caesar in Rome and said, I'm going to need you to endorse this thing I got going on, then everyone would have said, well, of course this thing took off. Look at who he had behind him. But instead, we're here. Think about this, guys. We're here where they used to roll in boats to sell them in Little River, South Carolina, 2,000 years separated from this story, talking about it. And he revealed himself to a group of guys picking up sheep poop in a field that he had done this amazing thing, and we're here talking about it. And so here's the thing. He wanted it to be made clear that I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to do it on my power, on my strength, and on my authority. And I'm going to use what would be considered some ordinary, perhaps in that culture, some low-life shepherds to communicate the message that I'm bringing at Christmas. We wouldn't have done it that way, but I'm sure glad he did. Because there's times I need to know that he came for me, because let's be honest, there's times that I feel really ordinary. And there's times that I feel really a lot like a low life. And I need to know that this message went to some ordinary low lives. Because a lot of times that's how I feel. The third issue that we're going to look at is the reason for Christmas. You know, we go very quickly from this baby in this, in this manger, quickly to the reason why this baby was born. The reason for Christmas is that Jesus came to die. He's the only baby in history that was born with the specific purpose of giving his life to pay the penalty for all of humanity. Philippians 2.8 says, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now we ask the question, why would he allow himself to die on a cross? He came to be the savior of the world. Why wouldn't he have come just and conquered the, the ruling empire of that time and set things right? Why did he do that? Well, the first reason the Bible tells us that he did it is to demonstrate God's love. What greater picture of devotion, love, grace, forgiveness. What greater picture can we get than somebody saying, I will give up my life for you even though you don't deserve for me to do it. 
I'm going to be honest. I like all you guys a lot, and I'm really glad you're here, but I just don't really know about dying for you. And I like you. You seem cool. Do you understand the love that it took? The commitment to pursue us in relationship and friendship that it took for Jesus to say, you know what, I'm giving my life to pay to have a relationship with you. In Romans 5, 8, it says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We talked about in our last series how we didn't invite him to come. He came on his own. John 15, 13, Jesus said, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, and that's what he did. The second reason that he allowed himself to go to the cross was to pay for our sins. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't have to look far out in our culture, and we don't have to look far into our own hearts to see that darkness is around right? Darkness is around and darkness is within. Sin is out there, but let's not get too quick to point the finger because guess what? Sin is in here as well. And we desperately needed someone to come and pay that penalty because here's the thing. God is 100% a God of justice and he is 100% a God of love. Don't do the math. It doesn't make sense. And because he's a God of justice, then that means that the the wrong and the sin and the junk in our lives had to be paid for. His wrath had to be poured out on the junk and the sin in our lives. It had to happen because he's just. But he is 100% a God of love. And so out of his love, and because and for no other reason than because it pleased him to do so, he sent his son while our lives were on a collision course with his wrath to, 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 to pay the penalty for our sin. While our lives were on that collision course, his son, he sent his son in his, in, because of his own good pleasure and because he loved us, he sent his son to step in and absorb the wrath. You see, the Bible says he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And he absorbed the wrath of God and paid the penalty that was ours. And that baby that we celebrate right now was born for that purpose. And so we, hindsight being 2020, can look now at what the angel said in Luke 2.11 when he says, This very day in David's town, your Savior was born, Christ the Lord. Because you see, Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. And he offers us that gift. Will you join us as we sing a few words about that very Savior of the world? So the first issue was uh, God came to earth 
The second issue that we dealt with is he came, Jesus came for ordinary people like you and me. The third issue is that Jesus came for the express purpose of dying. And now this fourth issue, the result of Christmas, the so what of Christmas, is this. Jesus, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. When he was born, the angels proclaimed that he was Lord. The verse that uh, Walt read just a little while ago from Luke 2.11 says this, This very day in David's town, your Savior was born, Christ the Lord. So what does it mean when you say, Lord? What is that? What is that? Well, it means that you say, Jesus is my Lord. Yes, the Lord of the world, but my personal Lord. I acknowledge the fact that Jesus is God. I believe that He is in control of everything. After all, He created everything. He's in control of everything. And I'm going to commit everything that I have back to Him. Everything. My life, my finances, my relationships with other people, everything that I have. Turn it back to Him. Commit it back to Him. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. I had the kids help me with this in the first service. And they did a great job. I'm just wondering about you folks. I want you to say after me, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Oh, that was exciting. Jesus is Lord. Jesus All right, that's better. Okay. And you're going to have a part in this. So let me hear it just like that. You may think that evil is winning, but Jesus is Lord. You may think that you just can't go on anymore because all the pressures have piled up on you from the outside, but Jesus is Lord. You may think that your problems are too big for anyone to handle, but Jesus is Lord. When you're discouraged, shout, Jesus is Lord. And when you're tired and when you're worried and when you're lonely, shout it out. Jesus is Lord. And when you're grieving and when you don't know or can't understand why someone in, that you love very much is, has died, say it. Jesus is Lord. And when you're so tired, so tired, you just don't know how you're going to take that next step, how you're going to put that foot in front of the other foot. Say it. Jesus is Lord. Jesus 
Christ is Lord. I know people, I know people who celebrate every single Christmas for year after year after year after year after year, and yet they've never unwrapped the present that God has given to them. And God says, that present that I have for you, that present I'm offering you is eternal life. Eternal life. What does that mean? Well, that means that your past, whatever it is, is forgiven. That your future is secure. And that right now where we live today, you'll have purpose and meaning in your life. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, I have given you forgiveness of sins. I've secured your past. I've secured your future. And I am here to give meaning and purpose to your life starting right now. If you'll only trust me. That's the Christmas gift that God has for you. It's wrapped up. Pretty bow on top, sitting there, waiting for you to accept it, unwrap it, and use it. I can't understand, too, why, why people put up a Christmas tree, sing Christmas carols at the top of their lungs, whether it's on key or not, and do all the things that are so Christmassy. year after year, and yet they've never accepted God's gift. And what I'm saying, what Walt's saying to you, is that tonight may be the night. Don't go away from here without unwrapping that gift. Let this be the night that you accept His gift. I'm not talking about religion here. I, I, you may be Catholic, you may be Baptist, you may be a Protestant, you may be Buddhist or Jewish, it doesn't matter. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship, a relationship with the creator of the universe. The Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he wants he wants you to know him personally. Just like you know your best friend, like you know your spouse. And I believe that's why you're here tonight. See, we all come to Christmas Eve services for different reasons. Some of you came because, well, it's the traditional thing to do, isn't it? To go to church on Christmas Eve. We'd feel kind of odd if we didn't do it. We've been doing it for 50 years, so we've got to go to church tonight. It's Christmas Eve, for heaven's sakes. Some of you came because you were invited by friends. Maybe somebody here from Renovation Church, maybe just somebody that you know, but you were invited. Some of you came maybe because you wanted to hear the music. You don't know why you came. You just showed up. Maybe somebody here came tonight because, because you felt a little lonely you know it's a lonely time of year 
It can be a tough time of year for people, particularly those that have lost a loved one. But what I want you to hear is that regardless of the reason that you came, I think you're not here by accident. I think it was a plan. And I believe that thousands of years before you were ever born, God knew that you would be at Renovation Church on December the 24th, 2011, so that he might be able to get your attention for just a few minutes, just a couple of minutes, so he could tell you something that's so important. And that important thing is he wants to say to you, you matter to me. You really matter to me. I love you. I created you. I want only the best for you. I have a gift for you, the gift of eternal life with me. All you have to do is accept it. Trust me. Follow me. Won't you accept that gift tonight? That's the result of Christmas. Jesus is Lord. And he wants to be the Lord of your life. I told the congregation here a week or so ago that a light bulb came on. I mean, everybody knows that verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But as I was reading at one time, I understood that I am the world. For God so loved me so much that he gave his only son. For God so loved you so much that he gave his only son. Man, when that becomes personal, it's a whole different ball game that we're playing in. He wants to be a personal God. Not an ethereal God. Ask him to be your Lord tonight. The gospel writer John talks a lot about darkness and light, passing from darkness to light. He compares the darkness to the sin that's in our lives. He compares the light to our lives after, after Jesus comes into our lives. They're changed. We never look the same. I mean, isn't that true? You look at someone's face and their whole demeanor has changed once Jesus has come into their life. And in the church for years, there have been candles lit to take away the darkness, to expel the darkness. We have an opportunity to do that tonight. If you'll uh, grab your candles wherever they are. I just want to ask you uh, to help us a little bit with the mechanics of this. If you'll think that the candle that is lit next to you is Christ, and He's not going to bend over for anything, but you're going to bend a knee to go to Him, and my, how easily it lights. There's no problem getting it lit. 
there's also no wax that drips all over everything. So <laughs> there's a, there's a two-pronged purpose for doing it this way. 